You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. This baby is born to be a leader. Born to lead his disciples. Born to lead the race he chooses. Born to lead all of human history born to lead creation itself and to receive the worship of heaven and earth. And when this baby grows up to lead, he will say to you and me, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth And the truth will make you free. In saying this and other things, Jesus takes the mantle upon himself of another great leader, that of Moses. For Moses spoke to God's people Israel of a great redemption he was about to accomplish. Moses met his people in the wilderness and led them through the wilderness of their lives. And Moses was a shepherd. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, this leader, is also the great shepherd of the sheep. He knows his flock, every one of us, by name. And his sheep hear his voice and recognize it And he, the great shepherd, is the one who lays down his life for the sheep that we might live, that we might be set free. Advent is a season in which we learn to be led. It's a season of, to coin a phrase, leadability. It's a a corporate and ancient spiritual discipline that we together are engaged in, in which we're discovering By degrees, by days, how it is that we are led people by Jesus Christ. Paula Goodyear writes a book called The Meaning is in the Waiting. And she says Advent has a way of orienting ourselves uh, to Jesus. It it reorients us in two ways. First, it it orients us from uh, the future to today, to live in the present, Advent does. And secondly, it it reorients us from ourselves to God, to live in confidence with our God. Let's look at that uh, bit of scripture today as we uh, come to Hebrews chapter 3, which is on page 972, and urges us to live today, but not just to live today, to listen today. Hebrews chapter 3 Our text is uh, verses 7 through 15. Let's stand and read this word and listen to this word together as God's people. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 down to 15. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors put me to the test, though they had seen my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. As in my anger, I swore they will not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partners of Christ, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Jesus is a leader. He leads you and me through the wilderness of our lives, and you are in the wilderness today. And so we need to learn these two orientations. First, to live in today. To, to, to stop living in the future. Some of us want to live in the past, our hurts or our triumphs of the past. Or perhaps we're more eager to live in the future of tomorrow, the possibilities that it offers, or maybe the risks that we fear. But the only place to live is in the present. That's where we make our choices. That is where we hear God's voice speaking today. There are two things about uh, reorienting ourselves to today, two things about the word today of interest to this writer of Scripture. The first is this, that today is the place, it's the space in which we listen uh, to God. The philosophers uh, since ancient times have tried to articulate the faculties of the soul. And there are, of course, um, the faculties of memory by which we envision the past and of imagination by which we envision the future and then the faculties of sense perception, the, the senses through which we see and hear and take in immediate information. That is the faculty perception that operates in the present. It operates today. And, and because of that, in a very real sense, it's only in today that we can ever hear God speak doesn't speak into our past, doesn't speak into our future. Today is the day for hearing his voice. Today. So Samuel, the young child who would grow to be a prophet, finds himself alone one night and he hears his voice calling Samuel, Samuel. He arises and goes to the elder Eli to ask, what is it? And Eli says, I, I have not called you. Go back to bed. And Samuel goes back. And three times he hears his name called. And finally, the aged Eli recognizes that it must be the Lord who is speaking to the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. 
And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, today, for we, your servants, are listening. It's a no small wonder that we so rarely hear the voice of God, the way we pack our days so filled with efforts and noise and media. Do we set time aside to hear him speak? We certainly have a lot to ask him, a lot to say to him. We want to hear from the one who leads us. Children perhaps articulate this yearning most frankly. Stuart Hample and Eric Marshall give us children's letters that they had written to God. I want to read a few to you. One is, says this from Amanda. Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there now. <laughs> God appreciates the advice. Uh, another, dear God, thank you for the baby brother. But what I asked for was a puppy. <laughs> I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. Joyce. Another writes, I uh, uh, read the Bible. What does beget mean? Nobody will tell me. Love, Allison. <laughs> or, uh, God, how did you know you were God? Who told you? Charlene. Anita writes, Dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses his golf words in the house? <laughs> Dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes. <laughs> and then finally, Charles writes, Dear God, I do not think anybody could be a better God than you. Well, I just want you to know that. I'm not just saying that because you are already God. <laughs> if we listen, we will find God speaking. He speaks, the writer tells his readers, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, he writes right there at the beginning, as the Holy Spirit says, it's an interesting phrase. And then he goes on to quote what the Spirit says, and his quotation is from the Old Testament, Psalm 95. He quotes the psalm. Now, you and I probably would have said, as the psalmist says, or as David says, the psalm is attributed to David. But the writer says, as the Holy Spirit says. Isn't that interesting? This should surely inform our doctrine of the scriptures. And because, of course, there is a psalmist. There is an author who, by their own free will, writes this psalm out. And yet, somehow, in the mystery of God's sovereignty, he comes alongside the spirit and, and, and ensures that these will also be the words of the living God. As the Spirit says. It's not as the Spirit said. It's as the Spirit says. As if to say, when we open up Psalm 95 today, we hear God speaking. The Spirit is saying something to us. The first we call the doctrine of inspiration, the Spirit's intervention, so that the Bible is the Word of God. The second we call the doctrine of illumination. That is the Holy Spirit's attention to you when you pick up the Bible and read its pages. He, he wants to say something to you when you read it. Preachers take great comfort in this fact, because I can preach a long sermon on A and greet you in the narthex and you say, thank you, George, for preaching about B. And I said, I, 
I never preached that sermon. That's the sermon that the Holy Spirit preached to your heart and you were listening. God is speaking to us today. The second thing about today is that today, capital T, is understood in ancient times to be the day of the Messianic age today. Into this day, the Messiah will someday step. And so uh, the uh, rabbis preserve a story for us. The Babylonian Talmud uh, is composed about 500 years after Christ's resurrection. And it's a story of a rabbi who one day comes to Elijah and asks Elijah, when will the Messiah come? To which Elijah helpfully answers, well, why don't you go ask him? It says, where will I find Elijah, uh, the Messiah? The rabbi asks Elijah, and Elijah answers, you'll find him by the gate of the city. And the rabbi asks, how will I recognize him? You'll know him because he is unbinding and binding the lepers at the gate. But you'll know it's the Messiah because uh, the Messiah will not untie them and rebandage them all at once, he does each one separately, thinking, should I be wanted, it being time for my appearance as the Messiah, I must not be delayed through having to bandage a number of sores. He wouldn't want to leave anybody unbandaged, the Messiah, and he also needs to be ready at any moment for today. Might be the day he is called to earth for its redemption. Now, the writer of Hebrews and the writer of this uh, story in the Talmud disagree. They disagree on one thing, and that is whether the, uh, the Messiah has yet arrived. The Talmud thinks not. The writer of Hebrews thinks so. But with this aside, they agree on three things. Uh, they agree, first of all, that today is the day of the Messiah, capital T. It's the day he comes. Uh, they uh, agree on uh, two other things. Listen how the story concludes. It says, when the rabbi returns, Elijah asks the rabbi what the Messiah told him. And the rabbi answered, he spoke falsely to me, stating that he would come today, but he has not. But Elijah corrects the rabbi saying, this is what he said to you. Today, if you will hear his voice. Do you notice that he's quoting the Psalms? And in this, the Hebrews and the Talmud uh, agree. Two Psalms, in fact. The reason why today is thought to be so messianically significant is because of Psalm 2, a favorite of the New Testament writers, in which we read the Lord speaking to someone saying, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Psalm 2. Also, both Hebrews and the Talmud understand the significance of Psalm 95. For this is what Elijah quotes back to the rabbi. Today you will hear his voice. Psalm 95 says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people, uh, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. 
Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. So in the end, it's not the scriptures and inspiration. It's not the spirit and illumination. It's the son and incarnation by which God speaks to us most clearly. It is to him we must listen. And Advent is a time when we learn to be reoriented to the day in which God speaks. There's an old Advent collect, which means just a short prayer in the Anglican tradition. And it talks about attentiveness, watchfulness. Purify our conscience, almighty God, by your daily visitation. That your son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We are oriented, firstly, away from our perennial perspective of tomorrow to today. But the second orientation that Gooder commends to us in Advent is that from ourselves to God. Today is a noisy time to listen to anything. A communications expert told me this week that... We receive over 30,000 marketing messages per day. That's what you'll hear today, 30,000 messages. If you saw the beginning of the movie Contact, you see the scene which the camera backs away from planet Earth, moving back out into space. And as it does, there's this audio feed of radio waves that are being picked up and moving back past the planets in our solar system and out through and beyond the galaxy. We see, we hear these messages begin to taper off from cacophonous noise to less and less. We realize as we go farther away from the planet, we're hearing, we're going back in radio history and hearing broadcasts from the early days of radio and then silence. And it's back through all of this noise that the voice of God must penetrate if we are to listen. And yet it's not the noise outside of us that makes it hard to hear today. It's the noise in our hearts There's something going on in our hearts. God says, the thing that makes me angry in Psalm 95 is this one thing. It's that when I'm not able to lead people into freedom. These people in the wilderness always go astray in their hearts. And at the end of this section in verse 15, the psalm says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, the orientation to self leaves us with a hard heart that resists the leadership of God. What a frightful pronouncement on the people who came through the Exodus. For the hardness of heart is first spoken of about the Pharaoh, who, of course, he hears God's voice through Moses, but he resists God's leadership in his life and says, no, he hardens his heart. And God will eventually confirm that hardness and harden it himself. But God's people will become hard. This word hard is the same word for stiff, like stiff-necked people. And Jeremiah will say, uh, the voice of the Lord, Jeremiah 7, I have persistently sent all my servants and prophets to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or pay attention, but they stiffened their necks. It's the image of an ox who will not follow his master's leading because the neck is so stiff. He cannot be led. There is no orientation 
beyond himself. Psalm 95 describes this condition and then gives us a case study. And it is this, primarily, listening to tomorrow more than today. The condition is hardness of heart, but how does it happen? The case study. The case study in Psalm 95, there actually are several incidents in the Old Testament that the psalm refers to, but the psalmist shows himself principally interested in the wilderness, in the story uh, we find in Numbers. Do you know that the book of Numbers was, is known to Jews and, and uh, to Hebrews as in the wilderness? That's the name we find at the beginning of the title. It's the, just to help you remember, Numbers is really the story of the wilderness wanderings of God's people. It begins with the, uh, uh, Mount Sinai when God makes them a people, and it ends just as they're about to enter into the promised land. It's the wilderness story. God gives us a wilderness because he knows that you and I wander through the wilderness of life. And he leads us through it. Having done so, this generation has seen God's great grace and redemption. And yet at the very end, there is a single day. They're about to go into the promised land. They stand on the brink of the future. Kadesh Barnea, right on the border, somewhere in the area between Egypt, modern-day Egypt and modern-day Israel. On the lip of the land flowing with milk and honey, all that God has promised them, They decide to send out spies to probe the future, to see what it holds for them. And the spies go out, one from each tribe, 12, including Joshua and Caleb. They scout the land and they come back bearing huge grapes. And they say, yes, it is indeed a beautiful land that God has promised us. But, but, the cities are fortified. The technology is advanced. And the people are huge. When we stood next to them, we were as grasshoppers. Now, when we listen to the voice of tomorrow, it will always ask you, are you competent? It will always ask you to consider whether you can face the challenges of tomorrow. Whether you have the strength. It will ask you to size yourself up in relationship to them. Do you think you have what it takes to face these challenges, the giants in the land? That's what the spies in your life will always ask you about tomorrow. And you can listen to their report. You can listen to their voice. But you will not be led by God any longer. No, listen to the minority report. The minority report is the voice of God that says, you are mine. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. I am the one who leads you towards freedom. When the people say, we can't go in, they cry and they say, it would have been better that we have died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness. So they say to one another, let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. We've got to find another leader. We've got to make our own leader, make our own way through the wilderness. It'd be better to die than to trust this God. And Moses and Aaron fall on their faces. Joshua and Caleb tear their clothes and they say, do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. 
and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The opposite of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that says you must go it alone is in verse 14. It's confidence, holding the confidence firm. He says, hold our first confidence firm to the end. Hold it today. What is that confidence? We talked about it last week. It is confidence that Jesus Christ is our champion. He's your vicarious representative who goes out to battle on your behalf to wrestle with death itself, to absorb the penalty of your rebellion and mine. Our sinfulness is gone in Jesus Christ. And God has access to all of us. And we have access to all of him in love. Do you know that when your spies come back and tell you what you face tomorrow, next week, next year? Do not harden your heart. Hold firm to that first confidence until the end. And so Jesus would say, in the face of human anxiety and worry, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for you. Close with the words of Psalm 95 again. Psalm 95 was used uh, in the synagogue weekly. It was used as a call to worship. It was part of the regular liturgy. And it's a good word to us today. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today we would listen to his voice. Let's pray. Because the spirit has been poured out. On your church, we can hear a fresh word today, O Lord, a fresh word. We can hear a word that the hardness of our heart, fears of tomorrow have prevented us perhaps from hearing for years. Would you make it so? Would you speak of the new life in Jesus Christ? Would you soften our necks? Replace our hearts with one of flesh and lead us that the truth about you and about us might set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.